Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You're wearing a Peyton Hillis jersey. When did you purchase that jersey? Uh, a long time ago, when he actually was good. <laughs> what was the point where you thought Peyton Hillis might not be the savior? Uh, the next year after he wasn't good. <laughs> Do people mention your jersey when you wear it? Um, probably behind my back. When you think of the last 20 years of the Browns, what's the saddest memory like that first comes to mind? The past 20 years. <laughs> In the Eric Mangini Browns era, there is probably no bigger star and no bigger disappointment than Peyton Hillis. Hillis, touchdown! Hillis in the end zone! Hillis is going to track home for the touchdown! In 2010, he rushed for over 1,000 yards and caught nearly another 500. So when EA Sports opened up their Madden cover selection to a fan vote, Somehow, there was a freaking Cleveland Brown in the running. Brown's going about their business on third and five for Peyton Hillis. A one-handed catch. This is a touchdown, Cleveland. But if the internet has taught us one thing, is that you never put anything important to a public vote. Don't believe me? Just ask the people who agreed to name their $280 million research vessel via the internet. How do you feel about Bodie McBoatface generally? I love it, and I tell you why I love it, because can you name any other research vessels at all? No. No, there you go. In the final round of voting for who would get to grace the cover of Madden, our own Bodie McBoatface, Peyton Hillis, was paired against the more obvious choice, Michael Vick. Hurston goes Vick, dancing, running, in for the touchdown. But when it all came down to it, Madden 12. Cover vote, 13 million votes. The winner is Peyton Hillis. Yeah! Wow. The city of Cleveland basically put their entire lot of hopes and dreams into you. This is like their way of beating whatever curse it is that's taken over their sports. What do you have to say to all those people that voted for you? I got to give all my thanks to them. I mean, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have this right now. Honestly, it was pretty cool. Even if Peyton Hillis would never have another thousand yard season, and sit out a game with a sore throat, and decided to get married on the Tuesday of a game week, and he threatened to join the CIA midseason. He was on the cover of Madden, and also the cover boy of Brown's dysfunction. In fact, Hillis personified the chaotic and often absurd tenure of another failed Belichick disciple, Eric Mangini, which when you think about it, is a huge bummer. So pop in a copy of Madden 12, because we're about to simulate the Mangini era in Brownstown. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After the 2008 season came to a close, Romeo Cornell had been fired on December 29th, 2008. The exact same day, Eric Mangini was fired by the 9-7 Jets. Browns owner Randy Lerner then hired Mangini on January 7th, 2009. That's barely a week later. Why are those dates so important? Let's let Jim Donovan explain it all. Randy was so reactionary. It was so easy to get into his ear and change his mind on things. When he fired Romeo Cornell, he has this meeting with the media the next morning. It was a Monday morning. He started the meeting by saying, I have to thank Romeo Cornell for all the great work he did. He's a wonderful man. We'd like to keep him on in some way in the organization. And then someone said, did you hear that Eric Mangini just got fired by the Jets? And he went, what? Eric Mangini just got fired by the Jets? Excuse me. And he left the room and he went out and he got in contact with Eric Mangini's representatives. And about six days later, Eric Mangini was the head coach of the Browns. That's what a reactionary guy he was. He turned on a dime all the time. Randy picked his new head coach in the meeting after firing his old one. After four years of a player-friendly head coach in Cornell, Randy went full 180 and decided to hire a head coach known for being a taskmaster, which is a nice way to put it. Mangini was known for being a bit of a dick. When I taught in the inner city to get certified Lincoln West, my first class Rome was just a mess. This is Brown's beat writer, Terry Pluto. This older teacher pulls me over. He goes, either they're going to run this room or you're going to run this room. You're new. I suggest that you or you're not going to last. You can go harder. It's always easier to go softer after you've gone harder. So I start giving quizzes, tossed a couple kids out. It works. Now, Eric was obsessive about it. What Terry means by obsessive is, well, Mangini liked to take his former team, the Jets, up to his hometown of Hartford, Connecticut for a kid's camp. It was just two hours from the Meadowlands. But when he became the Browns head coach, even though it was now almost nine hours away from Cleveland, he still shipped the rookies over there. Browns beat reporter Zach Jackson was on one of those long, long bus rides with the rookies. We load the bus at the facility on Friday morning. As we're driving, things are popping up like on Pro Football Talk, like he's making the rookies do this. It's 10 hours on a bus, this shouldn't be going. The event is all day Saturday, but this pall is cast over it because of, of the negative feedback. So we go to leave and Mangini's on the bus. He's basically been shamed into riding the bus home. So everybody's packing their stuff on the bus. We're getting ready to go. There's this undrafted rookie named Brian Williams out of Akron. And he stands up and he kind of acts like he's a stewardess on the flight taking off. He's like, yeah, we'd like to welcome our new passenger, Eric Mangini. And like three guys laugh and clap. And Mangini didn't find it funny. 
Another person Mangini took on a ride was George Kokinas, the new GM that replaced Phil Savage after his firing in 08. And Kokinas and Mangini, surprise, surprise, did not get along. More on that later. For now, Mangini would carry this obsessive, strict, detail-oriented approach through his first season to a 5-11 record. And it wasn't even as good as that sounds. It was some of the worst fucking football I'd seen in my entire life, going 1-11 before the Browns won the last four games of the season. To this day, Mangini and the 9 season stand out in the mind of former Brown safety T.J. Ward. He was like a coach I've never had ever before in my life. <laughs> he was demanding of things that no, I didn't really think that was even correlated to football. We might have the whole defense stand up. And I get it's important to know my teammates, you know, who they are, what their names are. But you know, we could be using this time to do something a lot more important. I'll get to know these guys as I get around them. Don't get me wrong, Coach Mangini was a good coach. He knew his football. He knew his exes, his nose. It was just like, let's just spend more time on that. To be babysat like that was kind of wild to me. Like, we had more freedom in college. Now at quarterback, after sitting his rookie season and starting just three games last season in 08, Brady Quinn got his first real chance under Mangini in 09. He won a quarterback competition with Derek Anderson and started three games before being benched. He won back the starter role after the bye and had some of his best games as a Brown. He tossed for 304 yards and four touchdowns against the Lions in week 11. Here is uh, Brady Quinn lofting a long ball and open receiver again. Another touchdown for the Browns. Then the injury bug bit Quinn again as he suffered a Liz Frank foot injury that would land him on the IR to end his second straight season injured. They're like, yeah, you're, you're, you're done. So then at that point, the rest of my career kind of, it became just trying to hang on. I didn't have anyone really at that point in time, really huge advocates to be able to like hold on to it. Brady didn't get a lot of chances, just 12 starts in three seasons. So he could never really get into a rhythm. He started playing well, then an injury or a benching would put him right back to square one. Quinn was completing 52% of his passes with 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and under 2,000 yards throwing. For Mangini, that wasn't enough. So before the 2010 season kicked off, Mangini traded Quinn to the Broncos for a couple late round picks and Mr. Madden himself, Peyton Hillis. I think the hardest thing about looking back on my time with the Browns is I, I wish I could say I had regrets. Like, I wish I could say that I didn't work hard or I didn't, you know, focus on the right things and all this stuff. But like, that just wasn't the case. I think anyone who knew me knew how much it mattered to me, knew how much I cared and wanted to be the savior, wanted to be the guy that not only like Browns fans or my family or everyone else wanted me to be, but just what I hoped I was destined to be. That's my biggest regret, I guess, is just not being what... I think I'd hoped I'd be, or fans hoped I could have been for, for Cleveland. Quinn had surgery and rehabbed his foot, but was once again slotted as backup in Denver. In two seasons with the Broncos, Quinn did not play in a single game. He did get one final shot in 2012 when he started eight games for the Chiefs before bouncing around practice squads and eventually leaving the league. It is a pretty sad story for a quarterback who was a hometown hero destined to save the Browns. The NFL is finally back, and there's also finally no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets. TickPick is your best choice to buy football tickets because they save you money by never charging any service fees. I mean, ever. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. 
which let them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, 110% difference. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for Brownstown and Blue Wire Network. I gotta go find some Browns tickets against the Steelers on Monday night to watch the Browns kick their tail. Visit TickPick.com slash Brownstown today and use the promo code Brownstown to save $10 on your first order of NFL tickets. Trading Quinn for stuff other than a quarterback also left the Browns in typical Browns fashion, trying to fill the gap with the bargain bin. So they brought in a very washed up Jake Delhomme, signed captivating backup Seneca Wallace, and drafted Colt McCoy out of Texas in the third round of the 2010 draft. This is McCoy doing it himself. Touchdown, Texas! Like Butch Davis before him, Mangini had total power over personnel. He pulled the strings on all the quarterback moves. Mangini... I would argue, by the way, he was probably a better coach in Cleveland than he was with the Jets because he did learn some things. The problem was he was the worst general manager he could have had. And maybe Mangini thought George Kukinas was going to do that, but Kukinas got here and was immediately realized he was just going to be a kind of an office guy. He was just there. And they, they weren't real interested in anything George had to say. Mangini didn't let Kukinas do anything. Like when he traded Braylon Edwards to the Jets, he didn't even tell Kokinas. George Kokinas was GM in name and name only. He openly complained that nobody listened to him and was quickly fired after Mangini's 1-7 start. Kokinas was so distraught that he had to be escorted from the Browns' facility. But as bizarre as Kokinas' story was, nobody got screwed more by Mangini, the GM, than Josh Cribbs. We made up songs about special teams players. You know, special teams players get no respect. We run down the field, we break our neck. Special teams players get no respect. We do everything, get little check. Cribs was a two-time pro bowler and an all-pro, but was still playing on his undrafted free agent rookie deal. Everyone on the team and around the city and league knew Cribs was underpaid and that he deserved a raise. It got so bad that Deion Sanders would shout, pay the man, over highlights of Cribs returning kicks. Now, do you really think that Mangini is going to solve this problem? I remember sitting in his office, and he had a piece of paper and a pen, and he slid it across the desk and said, how much would it take to keep you here? I'm like, I don't do the numbers, coach. I was like, I I have an agent for that. And I slid it back. It's not supposed to go like that. You know, head coaches aren't supposed to negotiate contracts. It's just, it messes up the whole hierarchy. I didn't see Cleveland, the Browns, as a a team organization anymore from then on. I saw it as an entity, a business entity. Like, they didn't care what I did. They just, it was just the bottom line. We got you for cheap, and you signed that contract. I don't care what you do. For me, it felt like I was sold out. Reactionary Randy Lerner watched GM Mangini trade his franchise quarterback, chase his real GM out of the building, and all to lose 11 games. So Randy once again began scrambling for someone else to save his franchise and his ass. He couldn't just admit he was wrong, fire Mangini and hire a new head coach. So he hired a Super Bowl winning coach, but not to coach. After much consideration, you know, I thought that I would like to approach the NFL and, and, and a team in a, in a different way, a new challenge, if you will. 
Lerner hired the big show, Super Bowl champ Mike Holmgren, coach of the Brett Favre Packers and Matt Hasselback Seahawks. He would take over as president of the Browns, not head coach. Because why come to do the thing that you're good at when you can do something you've never done before? Browns reporter Mary Kay Cabot thinks Holmgren just didn't want to put in the work. Well, I don't think he really wanted to coach at that point. I don't think he wanted the responsibility, the stress, and the hours of coaching. I mean, I used to see him uh, jump on that motorcycle and head out of Berea uh, at a reasonable hour, shall we say. I don't think he really wanted to be there till two o'clock in the morning and do all the things that go along with coaching. He was ready for that CEO job. Holmgren was going to be management only. It was important then that Mangini and he got along. But Mangini had just been demoted from big Mangini on campus to a guy under one of the biggest football personalities of all time. And that's not even mentioning their vastly different football philosophies. You have to have people that are aligned. You can't have philosophies clashing. And that is what they were doing. They had Mike Holmgren, who came from the West Coast family of football. Then Randy Lerner tried to pair him with Eric Mangini, who came from the Bill Parcells tree and the Bill Belichick era. And I knew the very second that they tried to put those two regimes together that it was not going to work. There was no way this was going to work. With Kokinas having left and Holmgren now in charge of hiring, he filled his GM spot with his own man, former Eagles GM Tom Heckert. Heckert would defer to Holmgren on most big decisions, which led to some top-down interference. He had hired Tom Heckert to be his GM and really be the boss, and he was supposed to be hands-off, but then all of a sudden he would bomb in and be hands-on. That's Zach Jackson. He hired a bunch of his buddies, right? And they hung out on the Browns tab. Um, that that's what happened. And at the end, what was the reason that you hired Mike Holmgren? Because it just that circle of blind optimism and everything's new is going to work. And then you don't have a quarterback, you don't have the players and everybody's out the door. And it's like, you know, he felt like he had as many going away press conferences as he did victories um, in his two or so years there. Despite not having really fixed anything at all, Holmgren was so sure that he was going to turn around the franchise that he called many strange but wonderfully weird press conferences to talk about it. It seems as though it's business as usual, but I'm telling you, it is not. And you can choose to believe me or you, or you can say, nah, I've heard it before. That's your choice. But when it does happen, don't come to me for extra tickets for a playoff game. Despite being undercut at every level in 2010, Mangini coached two masterpiece wins against the defending Super Bowl champ Saints and Bill Belichick's Patriots. But it wasn't enough. After another 5-11 season, Mangini was ultimately fired by Holmgren in a move that probably should have been made right when Holmgren was hired. Meanwhile, on the field, rookie quarterback Colt McCoy had to start in Week 6 after injuries took out our two veteran quarterbacks. He threw six touchdowns and nine interceptions, and Cleveland, once again, didn't have a clear-cut starter at quarterback. Then the least funny thing of all happened. Holmgren, the coach, hired not to coach, hired a coach who had never head coached before to head coach. Got it? Well, you know what? You cannot put a head coach in a situation of chaos and turmoil and expect him to succeed. And most of these guys were first-time first-year head coaches. And not only in Pat Shermer's first year was he all of that, but then he decided that he wanted to be his own offensive coordinator and call his own plays that first year as well. And he had every single other thing on his plate too. 
First-time head coaches underestimate all the other things that you have to do besides actually coaching the football team. There's a lot of administrative stuff. There are a lot of fires that you have to put out. There are a lot of media responsibilities that you have to deal with. And you need to support your head coach, especially a first-time head coach. But if you throw him into the maelstrom of chaos, then there is no way he's going to succeed. Mary Kay was very right. But as always, it's never just one fuck up with the Browns. It's many consecutive hires that go awry like Mangini and Holmgren or multiple bad picks in one draft. And once again, that's where we're headed next. Another draft gone wrong. What's the saddest thing that comes to mind when you think about the last 20 years? I think of the fact that I really tried to talk myself into Brandon Brandon Whedon and his ability to throw a fastball. (laughs) And then then one day I watched him throw a dart right into the ground and I was like, that's not where a fastball is supposed to go. Oh, God, it's draft day again. Next time on Brownstown. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwepa Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.